Hi there, Dave here. I want to remind you that every episode of Tales from the Backlog and a Top 3 podcast is listener-supported by the patrons of The Tube and some personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 podcast crew, and new patrons Chris from 1H1D and Nick Fakori from Friday Night Gamecast have gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and supported the shows, and they're getting some cool treats in return. You can be like them and head to patreon.com slash realdavejackson, and you'll be my hero too. All right, let's get to the show. <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, co-host of the Pixel Project radio podcast, and yakisoba pun enthusiast, Rick Firestone. Welcome back, dude. Hey Dave. Hey everybody, how's it going? Good to have you back on the show, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back, and I, I'm particularly excited to talk about this one. I mean, every episode that I've done on the show so far has been on a game that I've really enjoyed, uh, but but this one I'm 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 really excited to talk about. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim, which is a side-scrolling adventure visual novel type slash real-time strategy game. Developed by Vanillaware and published by Atlas Worldwide in 2020 for PS4, and a Switch release came out in 2022. And this game today is this is an interesting one because it because it's like such a big part of it is visual novel slash like adventure game type stuff. Story is super super important in this game, so we're gonna like set up the story, but we're gonna save like the huge, huge majority of story talk for the spoiler section. So check down in the show notes for a timestamp for where the spoiler wall is if you don't want to be spoiled on the game. But before we get into 13 Sentinels, Rick is a co-host of Pixel Project Radio and a returning guest on this show from the Disco Elysium and Yakuza Like a Dragon episodes. Rick, tell everybody what Pixel Project Radio is all about. Yeah, so if if you heard uh, those episodes that Dave mentioned, you probably remember the spiel. But uh, we're another video game podcast. We, um, you know, we we talk a little bit about everything related to a specific game. We tend to do one game per episode or per series, and we we tend to talk about everything in so far as development and mechanics. But we, I think we focus a little heavier on narrative and how that functions within what any particular game is trying to accomplish. Um, the, the game today, we've kind of taken a little bit of a pivot in terms of our episode format. The game today, um, was featured in an episode that we did a little while ago, not too long ago, but a little while ago, um, an episode on visual novels. And this was, uh, actually one of the four that I chose for 
uh, beginners to jump into the visual novel genre with. Um, mm-hmm. I I'll, I guess I won't go into detail right now about why I kind of consider this a visual novel, but we can we can maybe talk about that as we go. Sure. Yeah. And as I've said on the other episodes that you've guested on and other episodes where I've brought your podcast up, even when you're not a guest, I think Pixel Project Radio is one of the best gaming podcasts out there. I truly enjoy listening to it uh, every time. Like you guys said, you guys really go into like a beat by beat story breakdown in a lot of the games you cover, which is something that I don't do on this show. And I think that you and Ben and guests uh, totally nail it. So Pixel Project Radio, I could not give it a higher recommendation. It's another one of those shows that like when it drops, that's Pixel Project Radio Day for me too. So it's really good stuff. Thank you, man. I I appreciate that very much. Yeah, when you brought this game to my attention, well, when when you asked me to do this episode with you, my first thought was, oh, yeah, I thought about doing this for our show. And then I thought about how much effort that story would take to kind of break down and get into (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I in in that aspect in that regard I'm glad that we're not trying to really dissect this story beat by beat because it's um it's it's a real spider web. Yeah. Preparing for this episode I went on YouTube and looked up like 13 Sentinel story, you know, recap or story uh explanation and it's all these like, you know, 16 part video series or like one video was literally 7 hours long and I was like, okay, uh, I'm just not going to attempt to do that on this episode here today. So um, before we get into actually like breaking down the game, though, let's get into our kind of personal histories with it. What made us want to play 13 Sentinels and uh, yeah, stuff like that. So Rick, what was it that brought you to 13 Sentinels? So this is one that I see pop up a lot on the JRPG subreddit um, that I I, tr- I spend some time there. I'm I'm one of those weird SOBs that admits to spending time on Reddit. Um, but I, f- I feel like it's because I, I'm so, f- I'm so far away from the weird Reddit mod archetype that, you know, it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, this mm-hmm. came up a lot on that's the Reddit and a few of my, uh, YouTube subscription, uh, people, they, they have talked about this game and I ended up, I, I actually ended up buying it on PS4 and then shortly thereafter got a PS5 digital. So I was like, oh, I guess I can't play this right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, you know, had to rebuy it, unfortunately. Um, but I, you know, I didn't know what to expect going in. I thought it was a JRPG. I knew nothing about it. Oh. I didn't look anything up about it other than hearing people say the story is very good and that it had some RTS elements to it. I knew nothing other than that. And going into it, it was so different than uh what i was expecting and it it, it's also um i I should note it was my first vanillaware game Mm -hmm. i was i I was aware of vanillaware beforehand and i had seen their art style before and you know seeing vanillaware on the box i was like oh this is great you know they're very well regarded and that was also one of the first things i noticed about this game was just how beautiful the art style is it's really stunning it um mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me a little bit of like early ps1 xenogears or final fantasy 7 well no actually that's kind of the opposite but <laughs> it, it reminded <laughs> me of like xenogears but done to a far better extent like the backgrounds uh-huh. are so vibrant and the character designs sort of just live lushly on top of that it's it's a really beautiful game and it was 
it was just a wild ride from start to finish. I, I love this game. I love so much about it and I think it does so much so well. So yep. I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped to talk about it. Yeah. For me. So like, I don't play visual novels. I, I don't think I've ever played one before this game and I don't like RTS either. <laughs> so this is a weird one. You may ask yourself, Dave, if you don't like any of these genres, why did you play this game? Why did you buy it? And the answer is, uh, when I was reading, I like to read reviews sometimes, and I was reading a review when this game first came out, and people said it has a great sci-fi story that reminded them of the TV show Lost. And I am a huge fan of Lost. It's still one of my favorite shows, despite all of its flaws. And as soon as they said that, I was like, fuck you. I have to play this game now. It's just, I have to, I have to see why they said this. Like, why would you put that out into the world? I have to see why. That's why I chose to play this. That simple. So getting into some like opening thoughts about it, Rick, you said you really enjoyed this game. I am pretty mixed on a lot of the things in the game, but I did love the story. So the thing that was promised, the storytelling that reminded that reviewer of Lost, really held up uh, for me too. And I do kind of agree with that comparison. I see why they said it. There are a lot of aesthetic and gameplay things that I don't love, but overall, I did enjoy my time with the game. And uh, the story, again, that's like the big draw, really, really pulled me through and each successive like revelation in this like nesting doll of a story was more than enough to keep me going. Yeah, I so I haven't seen Lost, so which I think I've told you before. Um <laughs> and I so those comparisons are are lost on me for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um just to ask now because like I'm not going to ask it every within every subsection of of our outline here. Sure. Um but <laughs> I I'm wondering how much so you said that you weren't a fan or were mixed of quite a few different areas of this game mm-hmm. i i'm wondering and i'd i'd love to hear your thoughts whenever we get to the relevant sections on yeah. whether that whether that was because it was an issue of taste or whether it was because you thought it was objectively failing in some way because you know what they say there's no accounting for taste right sometimes people yeah. don't like something and it's okay because mm-hmm. it's it just isn't for them and that's fine like there's no reason to argue with with taste and there's no reason to try to pull somebody over into your taste right it's taste you mm-hmm. know everybody everybody likes what they like and that's fine but i'd be i'd be interested to hear if you thought any of this failed objectively yeah so we'll definitely talk about like each thing as we work through the episode here but i think overall a lot of the things that i don't like are my own personal taste I don't think that there's anything that I can look at that and say it's like objectively not well done for what they're trying to do. A lot of it is just like, I really dislike this as, you know, the type of media that I enjoy and don't enjoy. So yeah, we'll get into that uh, for sure. If anyone's wondering out there how long this game is, uh, my playthrough took me 39 hours. Uh, This is not a short game. I would say about two thirds of it is reading and the rest of it is doing like the RTS battles. So yeah, not a short game, 39 hours. Rick, do you know how long your playthrough took you? It was about the same. It was under 40, um, but higher than 35. So right in the same zone. All right, let's get into 13 Sentinels. 
So to give a little story set up for 13 Sentinels, you have 13 characters, and this is a story that starts out where your 13 characters are mostly high school students uh, in this uh, school called Sakura High School, and things start to go weird. I, I don't really know how to approach this without starting to spoil things. It's just, it starts out with these characters, and then things start to seem weird and then it just spirals like quickly quickly goes beyond even what i thought it might be so i mentioned lost before the reason uh rick for you and other people who haven't seen lost the reason i think that this fits is the story is told through this like kind of nesting doll of revelations where like you will get introduced to like three or four questions that you have about what the hell's going on. Then they'll answer two of them, but they'll introduce three more. And then so so keep going and going and going and going until you finally get to the core of what's actually happening. Now, I do think that this game pulls it off better than Lost did. Lost kind of got lost in its last few seasons. Um, I really, really enjoyed the story though. And I like the story itself, the plot I enjoyed but the way that it's told was what really made it for me. And one thing that I really liked about this upon retrospect is you're you're getting answers to questions that you didn't even know that you had and uh-huh. maybe you don't have the vocabulary for like you're receiving an answer but you're saying what does that I don't know what that means. Like, did I miss mm-hmm. something? And no, you didn't miss something. It's just part of the way this nonlinear narrative is told. It's mm-hmm. so cool. I mean, right from the very beginning, the inciting incident of this story that brings you in is the very end of the game. That's the first thing that you encounter is one of the final scenes. Mm-hmm. And immediately you're like, "I, what is happening? Like, the, I, this is so cool. And then suddenly you're back at, like you said, you're back at high school. And it's like, I don't even know where to begin. Yep. They really throw you off guard right from the beginning. And I would say that every major question that I had and like things that I wrote down in my notes for the spoiler section later, every major question that I had about what the hell was going on did get answered in a pretty satisfying way. I don't, that's something that people complain about with Lost is that they introduce all these questions that seem important and then they just don't answer a bunch of them. Uh, I don't feel like this game does that. It's pretty good in how they pull it off. Yeah, and you know, I I would like another playthrough of this just to solidify my understanding of it because there is so much going on. Mm-hmm. I don't remember coming away from this game and feeling either confused or uh, maybe that things were left unaddressed. But if you ask me to summarize the entire plot right now, I don't think I could. <laughs> no, neither could I. And this is me saying out front that we're not going to attempt to in this episode. We're not going to attempt to explain everything that's going on, even in the spoiler section. It is a web, truly a web of like just a whole bunch of stuff. I don't want to say a whole lot more about that. Another thing that makes it interesting the way the story is told is that you have your 13 playable characters and you kind of choose which character's story you want to play through, and the stories all interweave and stuff like that. And at certain points, you'll be blocked from progressing in that character's story. Maybe you need to progress other characters' story. Maybe you need to do some of the RTS battles in order to get further. And when you hit one of those blocks, they often leave you with cliffhangers or um, just a big thing where you're like, okay, what? And then 
you don't get to see the continuation of that for a little bit until you go do other stuff. And so I think that allows the game to tell the story at the pace that it wants to tell it while also just introducing a whole bunch of stuff for you to chew on. And it's great that they set it up that way with the sort of roadblocks or prerequisites to continue a story Mm -hmm. because built into a nonlinear narrative and especially in 13 Sentinels where you get to um, bounce between the narrative and the sort of RTS battles at your own whim, there's an inherent pacing issue or inherent pacing challenges Mm-hmm. And the fact that they thought through to put in those blocks, like, no, you can't just play the entire story without doing the battles, or you can't just do the battles without doing the story. I, I think that's a, a very necessary boon to not just keep players engaged and from burning out of one mode, but also from, you know, it, it, it really helps aid in that pacing, which I will admit was not always consistent but I don't think I would call it bad. Yeah, sometimes it was just like, you know, I wanted to proceed further in this one character's path, but the game wouldn't let me, and then maybe I wouldn't get a chance to go back to that character's path until like eight hours later. And that gives certainly gives you an opportunity to like forget what's going on and what's in a character's path, but the game does have a pretty good kind of codex type thing to remind you of what happened in uh, all the characters' chapters. So they did give you a way to catch up and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I wouldn't call this like bad pacing either. It just sometimes the way that I wanted to progress was blocked uh, before I was ready to switch over to another character. And it's very deliberate the way that they did that so that I didn't get too far into the story without, you know, seeing the things they wanted me to see before you get to that further point, you know? Yeah, and those story beats that you're seeing before they, you know, block you off with a prerequisite, they're recontextualized and revisited through other characters' points of view, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if in one scene one character is running past a suspicious-looking guy and it's not super explained, you might see that from another point of view and have a little more um, context to what might be going on. And, you know, I they really went the extra mile to ensure that the story wasn't just uh, seemingly random or scatterpoint. Mm-hmm. And, and I really appreciate that because a nonlinear narrative, especially for an entire plot, is so, so ambitious. I mean, you, you see it happen on some shows sometimes, like with Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead or, you know, Lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like to do an entire dense multi-point narrative in solely that style, it's a it's a challenge. And, you know, I, I don't know how much you looked into the development, but my understanding is that development was tough for this reason. I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So in 13 Sentinels, you're playing as 13 characters. I would not say that this is a game with one main character. I think most of these 13 get pretty equal attention and importance throughout the story. There are definitely some that are more important than others, but this isn't like you have one main character that you should care about and then a bunch of side characters that don't matter. That's not really what's going on here. Um This is one of those things, this is going to be the first time where we talk about that kind of taste versus like, is this actually bad type thing? I 
don't think I like most of the characters as characters to like think about and stuff. There's a couple that I really enjoyed their storylines. I found most of these characters to be super one note. Like they all have their one trait, you know, this, uh, and I, I don't know like the terminology for this, but, uh, this woman is aggressive. That's who she is. That's all you know about her. This guy likes food. That's his personality. And that's how I felt about a lot of these characters. And I assume that this is a taste thing, that these are not like horrible characters that are just done poorly. I have a little bit more faith in the developers here. I just don't know a whole lot about, you know, this style, like this anime style that these characters are done in, that this whole game is done in like aesthetically. So I wasn't a huge fan, but I suspect that that's a taste thing more than a quality thing. Well, I, I don't want to, I'm certainly not going to say that, you know, you're wrong or misguided because not all of these characters are created equal. Um, the mm. one that sticks out the most to me is Fuyasaka, um, Iori. She is probably the flattest character of the bunch. And while I, I didn't dislike her, I, I really wasn't a huge fan of her entire plot line because it essentially was just revolving around her crush on another character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could make the argument like these are high schoolers. Yeah. They're not going to have levels of nuance like uh, Kim and Harry in, in disco. <laughs> they're just, they're not. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that you brought up um, Takamiya and I am completely blanking. Oh, Takamiya and Hijiyama. It's interesting that you brought those two up as examples of flat characters because I, I don't see them as flat. Um, Hijiyama especially, um, I don't I don't know how much of this is considered spoiler, so... <laughs> Um, feel free to just cut this. But Hijiyama um, and his whole arc really, I mean, it's deeper than this, but one, one that I remember because I like the character was with um, Okino. Mm -hmm. oh, what, what, is, what is their full name? Tsukasa Okino. And I, I don't know. I, I really, I, I felt like there was a little more depth there than just liking Yakisoba, although that was <laughs> really, really hammered into... Um, the plot and and actually speaking of the yakisoba and hijiyama um he's always talking about how much he likes yakisoba and he forever is saying so delicious and yeah. i was like i was i was knocking my head on the wall i was like i know that voice who is that voice and then i turned on yakuza and i was like it's ichiban yeah. <laughs> like this is ichiban's ichiban. english voice actor yeah <laughs> um and I'm, I'm blanking on his on his name i know it starts with a k but um yeah, there's the voice acting in this is is also just stu stupendous. It's very good. Yeah, I like again. I don't I don't want to say that these characters are like bad or poorly conceived or anything like that. I think that a lot of them fit their roles throughout the story and there are a couple that I enjoyed. I enjoyed uh Miura. I I liked his story a lot. And I think a lot of my enjoyment goes past like them as a character and more like their role in the story, I guess, um, which I obviously can't talk too much about here in the non-spoiler part, but I did, especially with Hijiyama, like I wrote him down. I was like, man, just shut the fuck up about Yakisoba Pond. Like we get it. You like it. We understand. You don't have to say it six times in every chapter. And 
there were a couple other characters that were just so like Fuyasaka's sleepy and she has a crush. I get it. Is there anything more going on there? But there were some that I enjoyed more than that. I just, when I think about this game as a story and how much I enjoyed the story, the characters were not the reason I enjoyed the story. You know, a lot of games like you mentioned Disco Elysium. I enjoy the story of Disco Elysium, but I love the characters and how they play into the story. And that's not how I feel about this game. I like the plot of this game more than the characters. It's it's almost like each character has a pitcher um, and they're able to pour the water of that pitcher into two cups, either narrative advancement or character development. Mm-hmm. And some characters are just really... Uh, not balanced. Like Furiyasaka, for example, is almost entirely, well, almost entirely character development, although I don't think she has much character development. <laughs> um, whereas somebody like um, Nenji Ogata, he is like sternly down the middle. Like he has a lot of narrative involvement, but his character also actually grows throughout the story from just your cliche. Uh, greaser delinquent in 80s Japan mm-hmm. to somebody actually addressing his feelings and looking out for more than just, you know, his own interests. Yeah. Not all the characters are equal. Um, and I, I think for sure that is just something where if you're, you know, if, if you're a mark for that and if you're okay with that kind of pacing, it's fine. But I can definitely see how that would be tedious uh, especially with how long this game is for somebody that's not into that. Yeah. But like I said, the, the plot, like the bones of the plot and like what's actually happening, that was more than enough to pull me through the game. And I never really got to a point where I was like, I'm sick of this. I was pretty well drawn through the story throughout. So even though I don't love the characters and some of them, I, you know, before I, I beat this game a couple months ago and I was reviewing it for this episode. And there were a couple of them where I was like, oh, right, that person. Like, I just totally forgot about some of them. And they there are 13 characters. They're probably not going to hit home runs on all 13. No one really is going to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, there are 13 characters plus ancillary characters. I don't need, I don't, I think I butchered that word. I'm just going to choose a new one. <laughs> there are 13 <laughs> characters and several like side characters characters that you're not going to play as but they're pretty important to the plot so there there's just a lot of moving parts right and kind of going along with this like my taste versus like is this actually well done in the game talking about the aesthetics of 13 sentinels you said it earlier that the uh the visuals are really really nice and i agree especially the backgrounds and kind of like the lighting in the scenes they have like this dreamlike quality in a lot of them that kind of fits i mean not like not like this game is all a dream type thing fits but it it fits this like very confused or like this mood where you're just trying to figure out what's going on and i think the visuals fit that it's super colorful like i really enjoyed the way that these especially the adventure scene um i enjoyed how they look a lot yeah the at first, the the way the characters were drawn was not my cup of tea, and I've experienced this with other visual novels and and 
anime styles like Clannad is a big, big one. Um, but it grew on me and more than just the characters themselves, it's how they fit into the backdrops that it's just really nice. Like whenever a character might pick up some papers on a desk and how that looks from it going from the desk to their hands, it, it's just a really nice touch. And, you know, v- VanillaWare has sort of stayed in this 2D um, I don't want to say retro because that conjures the wrong image, but they didn't advance into, well, advance is the wrong word. They didn't progress and progress is the wrong word. <laughs> I need words, people. I need words. They didn't, they didn't change into polygonal style of, of art, right? They don't, they're not mm-hmm. doing 3D environments like The Last of Us or something. And as such, they just, they decided we're going to make this look as good as we can. And I, I appreciate that quite a lot. Um, it's tough to do that in, you know, 2020 or 2019, I think, is when this came out. It's it's tough to do that and to engage the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this game looks really, really good. And it's drawn, the characters are drawn in this, uh, you know, me, I'm very uneducated. Some would say ignorant in this, but I'm going to say just anime style. Um, and so you picture that in your head. You're probably not that far off from how the characters are drawn in here. This is one of the big issues that I have in the game that is, I believe, purely a taste thing, but it is something that just like really put me off. Not the way that the character portraits are drawn. They all look fine, but I think this game's too horny. And and the subject material and the plot does not support it being drawn as horny as it is. And a couple examples just... Idle animations for female characters that are very chest-centric. Um, something that I, I just really disliked throughout the entire game. And one of the first things that you're going to notice when you start playing the game is uh, your 13 characters pilot these mechs called Sentinels. And they are naked inside the mechs. Which, to be fair, is explained why they're naked. And I like the explanation for why they're naked. But... The women are all drawn in kind of fuck me poses with fuck me eyes looking right at the camera. And the men are drawn in this, um, well, not they're not drawn in the same way. And this is something that I do not like. Um, it really put me off. I know that this is a taste thing, or I suspect it's a taste thing. I just really dislike this. And when they did give that explanation later in the game about why they're naked in there... I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That's actually pretty cool. I don't see why they had to be drawn that way, though. So this is a purely taste thing. It just really stood out. This is a 40-hour game. A lot of it. (laughs) I think you might be bringing some of your own stuff into this, man. (laughs) I didn't. I mean, objectively, yes, they are nude in the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. I, I did not see any fuck me eyes or fuck me poses. Oh. Uh, of of any any of the genders that are present um but i i was thinking about your first point because it's something that i've heard multiple times before i there's really only one character that has a large bust and it's chihiro morimura in, yeah. in, in as as the nurse well actually as as an adult in general but none of the other characters do and like it's i would rather the the chest animations to me are just a, a a touch to show that the characters are alive on the page so to speak it's 
it's a stylistic choice. I yeah. it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. I I know there's like there and when I say recently, I mean like as far back as 2017, there's been this like subset of gamers that are just opposed to sexuality and anything. Um I I think the biggest example is WAF because they talk about it pretty frequently. Um and anytime they talk about it, they always like kind of make the joke like, yeah, maybe we're just prudes. <laughs> and it's like I, I I totally get it, but like I, I it feels like an overcorrection from the sort of um horny gamer of the past. I don't know. It it doesn't bother me. None of none of this bothered me, um, even yeah. a little bit. I'm not saying that it has to bother you or that it has to bother anybody listening. Um and you're right, it is it is basically just the nurse that has like these super chesty animation, but it is like I mean, when you're looking at her idol animation, that is feels like it's the only thing that was given a lot of animation, whereas a lot of the characters will shift from side to side, or they all look like they're breathing heavily for some reason, or some of them. Um, but Well, what part of your body moves when you breathe, Dave? Well, <laughs> I know, I know. And, and she, does, she does have really huge, uh, you know, why did I, why am I thinking of a good word? She has huge breasts. And if she's breathing, of course, they're going to move around and stuff. It's a stylistic thing that I don't really love. Um, I'm not opposed to sexuality in games, but one thing that I am really opposed to is sexualizing teenagers, which these are in the game. And this is a thing that like, I personally don't like. I don't really, you know, I'm not trying to tell people what they should and shouldn't care about, but as somebody who taught high school for quite a long time... I'm not into sexualizing teenagers, and I do think that they are pretty sexualized in some of these drawings, especially in the Sentinels. This isn't me trying to um, do a whataboutism, but did you also feel this way about Persona? I don't remember this coming up when we've talked about Persona. Not when you and I have talked about it, but in the Persona 5 episode, I did say that, like, you know, some of those, like, the drawn like anime style cutscenes in persona five were very like, Ooh, that's, you know, I don't like where this is going. So I did get a bit of that in persona five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It it's a taste thing. And this bothers me more than I suspect it bothers a lot of people. But when I was playing this game, I was like, man, I mean, I did notice a big difference in how the women are drawn in the Sentinels compared to the men. I can see the difference that you're, that you're insinuating it's just not something that jumped out at me as problematic Mm -hmm. however i i do think that you're not alone i i mean it's a cultural thing right this is something and i'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing it's um it's just an area of japanese culture where they're not quite as they don't hold the same views that we do in terms of sexualizing um individuals and then at what age that becomes appropriate. What, yeah. Not a complete sentence, but you know what I mean. And, and I'm <laughs> yeah. not, you know, I, 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 I don't like criticizing other cultures in that way. I, it's not my place to, so I'm not going to. Um, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of Americans feel the same way, um, at this, the same exact way as you do, Dave. It's, you know, it's something over here that's a little hinky and, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. It's yeah. something that they, uh, 
either don't know or <laughs> they're just like, well, you know, we're making games for Japanese audiences and if you don't like it, don't play it. Right. I is what they're saying. It's not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's more personal taste than anything. It's just something I really don't like. And I think we should move on to the rest of it. Uh, voice acting. You said the voice acting is good. I think that the voice actors did a good job for what they're asked to do. I just don't like this type of, you know, I don't like anime. I will just straight up say I don't like it. I don't like the mannerisms and the the way that the voices are coached and things like that. I just don't like it. It's I think that they're probably doing a good job for what they're asked to do. But again, not for me, which is kind of the summary of this whole aesthetics section in general. Did you play in the English voices or the Japanese voices? English. Yeah, yeah, so did I. Um, I looked up a few clips of the Japanese voices, but um, this is one of those games where the English uh, dub is going to be as high of a quality as the Japanese dub. Mm -hmm. um, just just super good. Like They got a lot of Persona 5 folks in here. Um, Billy Kamitz, uh, who recently passed away, voices one of the characters, the... Um, the guy that voices Ichiban that I still can't remember. Um, <laughs> he does a great job. Um, they, they've got impressive resumes. All of them do. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that like it was very clear while I was playing it that it is good. It's well done. Uh, you know, actually, I haven't played a game in a long time that even like a Japanese game that's being dubbed in English. I haven't played one in a while where I was like, man, they really phoned in the English dub. It, it feels like it's not happening very often, and this is certainly um, not like that either. Yeah, I guess I guess now that I think of it, I can't think of any examples off of the top of my head. Um, I'm sure they exist. They certainly exist in anime, <laughs> like, yeah, for probably. sure. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I, I can't think of any games outright that uh, the English voice acting is objectively worse, at least not right now. Mm -hmm. You want yeah. to write in, uh, it's Dave Jackson at <laughs> Tales from the Backlog. <laughs> Please send me every single example of bad voice acting uh, in English dubs. Please do. And that's uh, a real email address. MP3 clips. <laughs> yeah, that's a real email address, but uh, Rick trailed off, so you're going to have to figure out what the uh, end of that email address is by yourself. <laughs> so um, last thing about aesthetics, and this is something that um, I actually did enjoy. I think the music is pretty good. The one thing about the music, though, is a lot of it feels like background music, and I latch on to melodies in video games uh, pretty easily because, well, video games are longer than a lot of other media that features music. So you're going to hear music, you know, over and over again in video games, and I don't remember a lot of the music uh, in this game. I certainly don't have melodies playing around in my head the way that it happens in a lot of games. This feels like a lot of like background music as you're reading or as you're doing RTS battles, but it is pretty good. I went through the soundtrack again this morning and listened to it. I'm not going to say it's bad, just not super memorable. And that might not be what they're going for since you got to focus on, you know, reading most of the time anyway. So I, I agree with you completely. Um, this game reminded me <laughs> in this specific way of Final Fantasy 13. That was one of the first Final Fantasy, one of the first Final Fantasies where Umatsu was not heavily involved at all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in ten he he helped out quite a bit. I don't know about eleven. Um, I think he may have been involved in twelve a tiny bit, but uh, the composer in thirteen took a more 
soundscape approach, uh, playing more with timbres than they did with melodies. Um, and the result is that you focus more on the visuals and the story. And it seems like that's what's happening here. Um, the composer is Mitsuhiro Kaneda. And in addition to 13 Sentinels, uh, he did Odin's Fear with Vanillaware as well. Uh, Tekken mm-hmm. 6 and Soul Calibur, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then I think Muramasa is also a Vanillaware title, but I could be wrong. So might be he might be in the Vanillaware family. Nice. Yeah, this is the only Vanillaware game that I've ever played. So I don't have, um, especially not Odin Sphere and stuff like that. I don't have any experience with that. Uh, but yeah, music's all right. Background music, I think it does a good job of kind of setting the tone of the different scenes that you're in. And the battle music is pretty, you know, exciting in the background too. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I'm I'm with you. I I couldn't r- recall a melody or really anything specific about the soundtrack other than I liked it. If you asked me to, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's all right. Let's listen to some of that music, and then we'll get into the three game modes in Thirteen Sentinels. So you have three game modes that you're presented with in the main kind of menu screen of 13 Sentinels. You have uh, Remembrance, which is the visual novel sections, Destruction, which is the RTS battles, and Analysis, which is like a codex. And you can pick whichever one you want to do at a certain time until you get to those blocks. And there might be certain points, especially with the RTS battles, where you have to stop and go do a bunch of the visual novel stuff. So before we break these down, was there like a particular like pattern you had, like do all the visual novel stuff, then all the battles, or did you kind of mix them up a bit? I did my best to mix them up. Um, maybe like 60, 40 story and battles. Um, and it, it was largely because I didn't like the battles, but I'll save that for when we get there. But mm-hmm. it was, I didn't binge one before going to the other unless i had to for like a story uh specific roadblock or something Mm -hmm. yeah i i actually did kind of binge them but not to the point where i was totally blocked from proceeding in whatever i was playing it was more just like i'm gonna play 13 sentinels for an hour today i'm just gonna do visual novel stuff today tomorrow i'm just gonna do 30 minutes of battles and so forth until and i know i i think i hit one point in the story where I had to go do a bunch of battles to unlock like basically the ending or something like that. But other than that, I didn't, you know, I didn't binge all the way until there was no more story left to do. And then I had to go play five hours of battles or anything like that. So I didn't mix them up so well, but I kind of enjoyed the visual novel stuff more than the battles too. So let's talk about those. Not a whole lot of gameplay to talk about, of course, since it is um, basically just walking around, talking to characters and reading the conversations. But uh, like we said, you can pick whatever character you want to do at that certain time. 
and you walk around, you talk. They have this thing called a thought cloud where you will pick up, you know, keywords throughout your conversations or with things you see in the environment. And then you can kind of use it almost like an inventory screen to ask a different character about those keywords or something like that. And those were fine. The thing I didn't really like about the thought cloud was that you'll fill up the thought cloud as you progress. And then when you start the next chapter of that character, the thought cloud will still be full. And it's like, it's one color when there's new information or a new thing, and it's a different color when you've exhausted it already. But when you start over a new chapter, a lot of times everything seems like it should be new, but then you click it and it gives you information you literally got like at the beginning of the game. Sometimes it was hard to find like, okay, what's new here? And yeah, did you enjoy messing around with this thought cloud? So I, I think the purpose of it is to, in that sense, in, in the sense that you just touched on, is to just keep you on track so you mm-hmm. don't forget what's going on. And in that sense, I appreciated it. I I don't know, just going through this whole visual novel section, I just, I really felt like the game would maybe be better as a visual novel. Yeah. Because like I, I, I was thinking about it this way. You know, there are some games that excel as multiple medias. Like The Witcher is a phenomenal series of books. And it's, you know, one of the greatest WRPGs ever. Mm-hmm. And then there are things like Disco Elysium, which almost couldn't exist as anything else other than what it is. And I was thinking, can 13, could 13 Sentinels exist as something else and be improved upon? I really think it could just be maybe, maybe a manga, but certainly a visual novel. And it would almost be better. Um, the thought cloud, the, the thing about the visual novel sections are they're so on rails. It's, it's really difficult to get lost or not know what to do because You've got a flowchart. The thought cloud is going to tell you exactly what choices either need to be viewed or asked of somebody. Mm-hmm. There's not really a lot of open areas to get lost in. It, it and to be fair, if they hadn't done it that way, it would have suffered in pacing. So I, I don't think keeping the narrative structure that they have, I don't think they could have done it another way. But I almost wish they would have taken that focus and put it put it into the route order and how things progressed that way and then just made everything a visual novel. And it would have, I, I don't know, in my opinion, it would have been better. But then we would, uh, you know, we might lose some of the other stuff. Like you you don't get to walk around and look at things. And if you're into that, well, you know, but <laughs> sorry, that, that was, that, I was maybe <laughs> rambling a little bit. The, the nah. thought cloud was fine. I thought it was helpful. Um, it did get a little annoying sometimes when there are like 16 things in there and you have to clear them all out just to get that one bit of new information. But I think at least on the PlayStation version, if you're viewing a thought cloud thing on like another loop and it's showing as new information, but you've seen it already, I think you could just hold circle or X and it'll just go through it and skip. Whereas if you haven't seen the text before, it will not let you, oh. I think. That's helpful. I didn't know about that, but that is helpful if that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Towards the end, I was like, I'm not sitting through this. I got to find a way. I got to go. Got to go. I'm not. 
I'm not going to hear Hijiyama's thoughts on Yakisoba Pond for the 16th time. Every time. It shows up new every time. (laughs) Sweet bread with buttery noodles. So delicious. (laughs) It's like, okay, I get it, dude. I get it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I kind of agree. Like, if this game didn't have the thought cloud, I don't think it would have hurt the game at all to just walk around, maybe interact with some objects and get the character's thoughts about it, and then go talk to a character and have it progress even more linearly than it is but the thought cloud was okay i had a couple times where like i I just could not figure out what i needed to do to advance a scene you know like i'd be stuck on a screen i would feel like i talked to everybody interacted with everything tried every thought cloud thing on every person and then it was just like oh you missed something over here i did get a couple situations like that but I just checked a guide and I was fine. So not so bad. Yeah, there was one or two times when progression isn't dictated by the thought cloud and like asking somebody about new information. It's just you have to exhaust everything and visit all three areas and then revisit area two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's one of those. It, that happens once or twice. And I, I too, there was one in Juro's route early on where I think I looked up, like, what am I supposed to do here? Yep. And it ended up being something simple like that. Like, oh, just revisit this area and you'll trigger a new cutscene. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, okay. Yep, exactly. Stuff like that where I was like, oh, you know, I didn't think to go back here. Or maybe I didn't know that this, you know, last chapter I wasn't allowed to go down the stairs at school. This chapter I can. Something like that. But overall, not so bad. And again, I was enjoying the story, so I did enjoy these kind of visual novel sections for the most part. The next one is Destruction, which is the RTS battles. And this is the thing that people complain about the most. Most reviews that I've seen of this game say that the story's great, RTS sections really suck. And I'm not so hard on them, probably because I don't like real-time strategy. I'm not good at them. And these are easy, incredibly easy, in my opinion. So I kind of enjoyed that I didn't have to bash my head up against these. So, yeah, I don't know. Just overall, did you enjoy these or just kind of get through them? No, no. As I said, I I really didn't like these at all. And it's Mm -hmm. partly due to what you said. They're just, I didn't feel like I was thinking. I didn't feel like I had to think. And, Mm -hmm. And I will admit about... 80% of the way through, maybe 75% of the way through, I just started putting everything onto easy because I was already getting like S ranks in most of the battles, Mm -hmm. but they were just taking too long. So I just flipped it to easy and it's like, I, I don't know. I, they've felt superfluous to me. I didn't enjoy playing them. I I just don't really have much more to say. I I didn't (laughs) enjoy them. The one, the one thing I will give give these this mode credit for is you do get some nice dialogue between your uh characters here Mm -hmm. um sometimes it will hint at things that are to come sometimes it will exposit on things that have already happened um and sometimes it's just character building and that is nice and but it always happens at the very end it'll never happen like while you're combating uh it'll never it'll generally not happen beforehand you'll really just kind of be told what the sentinels can do that's the one thing that i liked about this but otherwise i just i hated how it looked i hated how it felt to play it (laughs) took too it took too long like every battle took too long 
I don't Some know. Some of them did. So the way they work is you get to pick six allies for your strike team and seven for a defensive team, which in reality means that you only get to control those six that are on the strike team. And you will be fighting against hundreds of other enemies. And they try to make you mix it up with this burnout system where the characters can't, in the story, they can't operate the Sentinels for too long without fucking up their brains, which is cool. I I like that. But in like the mechanical way that it affects these battles, it doesn't really matter because the trait you can like rest your characters so that they recover from this burnout, but you give up this like multiplier streak that you have going on. But the points do not matter. So this is just completely superfluous. I never, there's no reason to care about your high score in these battles. And having a score in general is just very, you know, feels like they put a high score in because they're like, oh, this is RTS. There has to be a score or something, or this is a video game. Gamers need scores. So let's do it. But it literally does not matter at all. So if you're listening to this, you're thinking about playing it. Don't worry about that score. Nothing matters. The one thing that the score does do is it'll give you your rank, right? And if you get an S rank, I think you get more memory points, which is how you um, interact with the next uh, mode of play on the list. Right. And then also there are special special considerations for each battle. So it'll tell you like, you know, in this battle, you have to have Ogata on your team and you can't use any Gen 3 Sentinels. Right. Or, you know, you have to have these three people, but you can't go over four people. And if you meet those conditions, you automatically unlock some of the analysis files, Mm -hmm. which is helpful because there's a ton of them. That's really the only other thing. Um, yeah. And the only, it's like the only reason your scores matter. Yeah. I agree with you. I, every time somebody went into burnout or like two people went into burnout, I was like, okay, time to replenish. Yep. It, and it, it doesn't affect your score in the battle so much because you, I, I replenished all the time and still met all of these like extra goals, you know, like you mentioned those kind of bonus objectives. It's just, it's so easy for the first 90% of the game to meet all of those goals, get an S rank, you get like three minutes of real time in the battles and you pause to make your commands and stuff like that. And I can't really think of many where I took over one minute of real time to get through it. Now this is, it can take five to 10 minutes of like real, real time to do these, but like the goals were so easy. The battles were so simple for the most time there's like four or five skills that you can just lean on for the entire game and just destroy everything it's just i can imagine for people who like rts they would be really disappointed by this for me as someone who doesn't like rts i was kind of like i'm just glad it's easy and i can get through it yeah i couldn't agree more So you take those uh, memory points, like Rick just mentioned, into the third kind of gameplay mode. And I use gameplay very loosely here. It's called analysis, and it's basically a codex to help you remember what happens in each chapter. You can go through and get like a nice summary or even rewatch the old chapters if you want to. Um, That will help you catch up on the story. Let's say like you did Juro's story for a couple chapters and then 10 hours later you're coming back to it. That'll help you catch up. I enjoyed that. Um, There's a codex 
that will like explain key terms throughout the game. And some of these, you need to use these uh, mystery points, memory points um, to unlock them. Some of them are very cool to read because they're super important for the story. Some of them are insulting to spend stuff on. Like you'll, you will literally have an entry. This is a real one. It says hot dog. And I'm like, oh, okay. Something weird going on with hot dogs. And I spend a point to unlock it. And it's literally just the definition of a hot dog. <laughs> and there's a couple food food items. There's hot dog, yakisoba pan, anpan, vanilla Humberg ice cream. steak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say though, all the food, like the way it's drawn, uh-huh. looks really good. That it was does, the yeah. best looking hot dog I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty glad when I played this game, I was living in Korea and I was like, oh, I could go get a Hamburg steak like a couple blocks away. That looks pretty good. There, um, There's another within analysis. There's a list of all of the events and you can organize them either by character. So mm-hmm. you can, after you finish the game, review all of the events that happened with a specific character as the POV, but also all of the events in chronological order. And it is long. It is yeah. very long, mm-hmm. um, but it's very helpful, too. <laughs> you know, I, I love a good codex. This is like like I always go back to Witcher 3 as having yeah. one of the best codex that I've ever played. Um this isn't quite that just because but i think it's because there's so much that they would need to do and go in depth on Mm -hmm. that i mean geez i I can't imagine how long that would take but it was it was really helpful to you know go and review you know early on juro's character bio is like a paragraph and towards the end of the day uh end of the game it's like six so Mm -hmm. it'll help you keep track of everything which again is good because of how nested the story really is Mm -hmm. and i i definitely spent a lot of time reading the stuff um despite spending points to learn what a hot dog is i did spend all those points and i i just had to get more selective about what i spent those points to learn about and i started to think about like oh okay this you know science fiction term that they made up for this game let me send my points on that instead of spending points on hamburg steak and you will have to replay the battles to earn more points to unlock everything. I think mm-hmm. at the end of the game, I was at like 88% of everything unlocked. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't unlock everything. I would say probably around 70% because I didn't replay any of the battles. For as much as I think the battles don't suck, I definitely was not going to go replay them. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh let's get into some final thoughts here before we get into spoiler time. For uh, 13 Sentinels, Rick, the guest, always goes first, as you know. Um, What do you want people to know about 13 Sentinels, and who would you recommend this game to? So, one of my current favorite storytellers in games is Yoko Taro. And I, for some reason, Atlas invited him to do an interview about 13 Sentinels, like, to give his (laughs) thoughts on it. I think I think in the interview he even was like I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> but um he you know he was going on about how interesting the story was and how how much vanillaware is important to like Japanese video games. And I and Masahiro Sakurai of Smash Brothers also feels similarly. I I've got to agree. Like I I love this game. I think it's not without flaws, but it's it's such a unique experience. If there's another game that's like it, then I haven't played it. But I, this this game is so singularly 
unique and interesting, and it tells a compelling story in a non-traditional way. And yes, it is very heavy on the anime tropes, but I think that if you are somebody that isn't immediately turned off by a story and dialogue heavy game and somebody that likes sci-fi mechs uh kaiju time travel things like that i think this is a game that you should at least give uh give a couple hours to because if it's not for you you'll find out within the first i don't know two hours two and a half hours (laughs) yeah i i agree i think that despite my misgivings about some of the aesthetic choices in the game, I still really enjoyed it too. And I think that if you don't play a lot of like visual novel type stuff, or at least a lot of like kind of text-based adventure games, I think this is a pretty good one to start with because it does have a story that will, it should, like Rick said, if the story doesn't hook you pretty much right away, then I don't think you're going to like it. But I was hooked pretty much immediately by what's going on in the story and the RTS battles, while I don't love them, I thought they were fine and they did break up hours and hours and hours of reading conversations, which, you know, sometimes I need that. So I did appreciate that in that way. And I appreciated that they're easy. You know, it would have been a lot worse if the RTS battles were like not great and they were super hard and I had to like learn the intricacies of this burnout system, I don't think I would have enjoyed that. But they're easy. So just kind of take a break, blow some stuff up, enjoy the explosions, get back to the story. It was all right. So I would recommend this to people, um, especially if you're into anime, definitely, probably give it a shot. I don't know a whole lot about anime, though, so I can't tell you about like specifics there. (laughs) As you've heard throughout the episode. Uh, this, you know, this isn't like JoJo's Bizarre Adventures level of anime ridiculousness. So it's mm-hmm. not, it's not that. <laughs> a- aesthetically, yeah. Yeah. A- aesthetically anime. Not, I'm not even going to go into like what happens and stuff like that because it's not something I know about. But at, at no point in this game is there dramatic music with somebody going, ho ho, yare yare. Like you're not, it's not that kind of anime. <laughs> no, it's not for sure. Uh, So I I do think that you should give this game a shot. And if the things that we've talked about, like, you know, anime aesthetic, RTS battles that aren't great, if that doesn't, you know, put you off entirely, I do think that this story is really, really good. And the way that they tell the story is really, really um, interesting and will hold your attention, I think. So, yeah, pretty, you know, easy recommendation because this is not a game that like you need a bunch of really awesome Twitch reflexes to play or anything like that. It's it's just a basically a story told through a video game. And I think that story is really good. It's on Switch too. Yeah. I don't think we we mentioned that. So yeah. it's handheld. Yeah, I, went, I meant to mention that. I think I forgot. I think that if you're going to play this, I would recommend playing on Switch. Because if you're anything like me in a game like this where you're going to do a bunch of reading, I would love I would love to have played this game in 30 minute chunks every night before bed instead of you know having to go sit in front of the tv and stuff like that just kind of the way i like to take in games especially ones with tons of reading so i didn't play the switch version i haven't heard anything about it being bad so at least look into it but i think i would recommend it on switch it was more balanced upon release and i think actually yesterday they released the playstation upgrade so 
um now this they're they're the exact same now uh but yeah i dragging out the playstation was the number one thing that i didn't like about playing this game i mm-hmm. wish i could have just played it in bed or something yep absolutely so a little bit of housekeeping before spoiler time. Um, first things first, Rick, where can people find Pixel Project Radio? Uh, if you're looking to listen on all of the major podcast listening apps, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, etc. Um, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram as well. Um, if you search our name, Pixel Project Radio will come up. The ats are a little bit different, but the logo is the same. Um, we've also got a discord as well. Uh, the link to that will be on those two respective social media sites, but, uh, that's how you can keep up to date with us. Uh, if there's any more that Ben has set up without me, then I don't know about <laughs> it, but that, that's, uh, that's where we're at. That's where we're hanging out. Yeah. And again, a big recommendation from me to check out pixel project radio. Um, I, I listen to basically everything you guys do. Um, and there's a reason I keep inviting Rick back on the show. I think that pixel project radio is excellent. As far as tales from the backlog goes, um, best ways to support are to, uh, check out Patreon, of course, and, You can join my Discord server where we have lots of cool people talking about video games and stuff. Otherwise, tell a friend, subscribe, leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the episode, and consider checking out my other show, A Top 3 Podcast, where we do top three lists. And uh, top three RTS games, top three anime games will not be on that, but we do have lots of cool topics, including top three Beatles songs featuring the one and only Rick Firestone. So... We are going to take a break, and when we come back, it's spoiler time for 13 Sentinels. Let's just get this out of the way right at the beginning and reiterate what I said earlier in here. I am not 100% clear on what the hell's going on in like the the fine details of this story. I was kind of just along for the ride. And then I did look at some summaries to recap before recording here. But of course, when I looked at YouTube summaries of like the 13 Sentinel story, it was like, Watch this 18-part breakdown of the 13 Sentinels story. Or watch this seven-hour dissection of what's going on. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So (laughs) what I've done is just kind of written down my thoughts as I played through the story and kind of like the big revelations and some of my guesses about what was going on. So I don't know, Rick, do you remember, like, what was the first thing about the story um, that really you were like, wait, hold up, what the fuck? Well, I mean, the I like we said before, the very first thing you see is one of the last scenes in the game with a with the Sentinel sort of just being summoned into 1980s fictionalized Japan, mm-hmm. and immediately your friend you're playing as Juro, by the way, your friend Kiba says something really cryptic. Um, 
and there's also this other stranger that looks dressed from a completely different timeline. So mm-hmm. immediately you're just like, what is going on? <laughs> um, I, I think the first thing that struck me as very interesting was you could only time travel between specific periods of time. Right. And I, I'm completely blanking on the number of years you could jump each time. Yeah, it it's like, I remember it's like 20 years or so. Yeah, you have 1945, 85, 2025, 65, and then uh, 2105. That, that was one of the first things, like when we find out that piece of information, and you find out pretty early on, I was like, okay, why is that a thing? Like, they wouldn't have included that just to include it yeah so i thought something was and and that does pay off eventually um, oh yeah in a way that i thought was super cool but Mm -hmm. that was the first time where i was like ah something there's there's more going on here something's going on it's not just doctor who time travel yeah so at the beginning i thought because you play as juro at the beginning and um you 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 get like a videotape from uh, Shiba, his friend, and then you kind of go home and kaiju attack, right? You're on your way home and kaiju attack. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a kaiju attacking movie or story, and we're going to have to summon the sentinels and fight off the kaiju. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I was correct about that, but that's only, of course, like the very, very tip of the iceberg. And <laughs> the first thing that kind of got me to be like, okay, wait, actually, what the fuck's going on here is when you find out that like all of the characters were born in different timelines, even though they seem to be coexisting all as high school students at Sakura High. But then little by little, you find out that like, oh, this character is not actually from the Sakura High uh, timeline that you start in at the beginning. So that was the first time when I was like, oh, hold on. What's going on here? Another thing that you find out pretty early on is that you'll you'll get these flashbacks with either older versions of characters or characters that look totally different, and they use the same names Mm -hmm. as your high school characters. Or you'll see a flashback that looks exactly like um, Shu Amaguchi, and he will say, my name is Tetsuya Ida. Right. So immediately you're like, is what's going on here? Uh-huh. Um, the payoff to this, I thought, was pretty cool. Um, not something that I was expecting <laughs> at all. And it kind of ties into the time period, uh, like the 40-year time, time skip kind of thing. Yeah. And on that kind of note, like the next thing that I had written down is like, actually... These are my kind of stream of consciousness, like thoughts like, oh, they're all from the far future and they've all time traveled back. And uh, Takamiya is Natsuno's mom. And like, how does that work? Because they're both high school students together. And what the fuck is happening? And so I thought, like, is this time travel um, or is this multiple timelines that they're going through? And uh, the answer to that is neither. Not really. I know, and I agree that the payoff to all of this stuff um, at the very end is really cool. I like it better than if it was simply time travel or stepping into multiple timelines or something. Yeah, and it it takes a while for them to get there. Yeah. Um, 
and and you know right rightfully so i suppose because it would it would spoil everything pretty quickly um if 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 you knew the the twist behind that but there there are just a lot of little things that are laid out when uh and when you look at them in retrospect it becomes not obvious but it, it's it's an indicator that something's going on like for example uh, one of the <laughs> one of the few things that i kind of caught before it was revealed was mm-hmm. that throughout the entire beginning of the game when you're playing as juro nobody talks to your friend kiba shiba he, he's what is it shiba is it shiba yes and if i just corrected you when it's incorrect uh then i wrote that down wrong and i'm sorry yeah uh, either way it could be a translation thing too um, but either way, you're nobody talks to him, and you never see him mm-hmm. when you're playing as other characters. And immediately, I was like, "Something's there. Like, is is he not real?" And sure enough, we we learned that he's he's not real. Um, he's uh kind of like a, <laughs> and he's an AI kind of, but not really. He's a consciousness sort of thing, a, a an AI generated consciousness belonging to who we think is is the villain throughout a lot of this. Yeah. Did you so like let's just let's just talk about that. So like this whole storyline with 426 and this fugitive across the timelines. Did were you like into that and did you think that that was going to be like you know this antagonist that you're going to have to I don't know kill in the final battle or something like that? I I was really into it. The idea of a a time jumping fugitive who can mm-hmm. take various forms who might not even have a form of his own. That's just so cool to me. It's, it's, it's not concrete. It's, it's abstract enough that, you know, anything could happen. And I, I was super into it. Um, I did for most of the game think that four, two, six was going to be sort of the big bad. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think they want you to think that it's cert, it's certainly set up that way. Yeah, like multiple times you kind of when you see four two six and see what he's doing, it's like oh yeah he's he's a bad guy. Like we got to stop the bad guy. Yeah, and I liked how they used Juro as like the first host of four two six. Like the first time you encounter him, he's in, in something that looks like Juro, Juro from the future or an older version of Juro at least. Which is cool because like Juro is of all the characters, he is the most I don't want to say the most likable, like but the most one of the most mild mannered for sure. He seems like a normal kid. Yeah. You know? He's just really into B movies. Yeah, just wants and <laughs> just wants to watch kaiju movies. That scene that you mentioned though, the first time one of the first times we see four two six in Juro's sort of adult form, what makes that even more captivating and it makes you really say what is going on here is you see your current classmates run up. You see Yamaguchi, Iori, uh, they're, they're all there, but they're, they're again, they're going by different names and adult Juro just shoots them all. Yeah. Like he murders them on the spot mm-hmm. and you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. Because Juro, this is all being presented to you, the player as Juro's nightmare. Like he's having this dream mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, what do these dreams mean? I keep having these. I, I dreamt I murdered my friends in cold blood. Um, and other people, his, his friends are having these dreams too. Similar dreams, the same dreams, and they don't know what's going on. Um, and what's funny about this is at first, nobody is talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Like there's this hilarious clip that I saw on uh, Reddit where it's uh, Ogata and um, 
Amaguchi talking to each other and they're like, Hey man, what like, you know, this is what's been happening to me the past few days. And the other is like, well, if you're going to lie to me, like, <laughs> let's just change the subject. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, what about you? And he's like, Oh, well this pop star is stuck in my TV. And then the other guy is like, well, if you're going to make me feel like an asshole for asking, I guess <laughs> it's like nobody at first, nobody's talking to each other. And mm-hmm. it just, because it seems so far fetched and absurd because it is. And yeah, I just, it, it's, <laughs> it hooked me really well. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Those, um, and those dreams that everyone's sharing is kind of the first, like one of the first things where you're like, oh, why is everyone having the same dream? Like one of those first kind of mysteries that you have. And I really liked how Juro's story uh, wraps up with uh, Shiba being, you know, like you said, like a, a construct who's there to like reprogram his memories by giving him these videotapes and stuff. And the videotapes that he's getting are involved way, way later in the story, like the mighty Kaiju Daimos and stuff like that. All of those things like wrapping up where like later on you find out about the video game uh, that all of this is based on. And I was like, oh yeah, that was the name of that movie that Juro watched in like hour one of the game. This is like hour 35 you're learning about it. So I, I did like how that stuff tied up. It's cool. Yeah, the idea of taking Juro's character, who's just obsessed with B monster movies, and having the twist like, no, these aren't movies. They're like they happened. Like this is exactly what happened in mm-hmm. the future. This is what's going to happen, and that's why I am having you watch these. Um, and it's interesting too because uh, Shiba Kiba gets Juro to give some of these to Amaguchi as well. So it's. I, I thought it was really cool. I, I, I did. Ooh. For as much as I think we just talked about, we, we just talked about like 6% of the story right there. Like the, all of that <laughs> yeah. together would be the big plot drop in like any other story that we're talking about. But this is such a wild fucking thing. Another thing that got me like pretty good, pretty early in the game is finding out that Morimura and Fuyasaka are the same person, uh, different versions of the same person. And then you get all these uh, scenes of Murray Mura going back in the past, shooting the um, the kids, like the other characters with this like gun. And you don't find out what that gun is for a long time. Um, also, the stories with, uh, with Megumi, has, how she has to go around and shoot all of her friends. I enjoyed those scenes and she ended up being one of my favorite characters too, despite the scenes where she's living at Juro's house and just being like, Juro, come home for supper. I, you know, those were eh, okay. But what's going on with her in the story? I really enjoyed like her role in it. I I liked those scenes with her living with Juro because she's, she's in love with a different version of Juro that she can't actually talk about because it would cause current Juro's sort of, um, constructed personality to kind of crumble uh-huh <laughs> i i liked that a lot when when we found that out i was like this is this is heartbreaking like this yeah like you're like she's in love by for by all intents and purposes with the same person and that person is now like what the fuck are you like why are you here like get away from me like i have bigger things to think about mm-hmm. and all she wants to do is be like this this isn't you like like you're not you but saying that would cause the whole thing to just crumble and Mm -hmm. it's like i i like that twist a lot um one thing that i agree with you with that you have written um is in that 
uh, story arc, there is a talking cat named Fluffy. Didn't didn't care for him. Nope. Fluffy sucks. Um, I don't know if this is a trope that comes up in lots of these, you know, types of stories, but I don't mind a talking animal, but the the talking animal with the oh the the um what's the word? Uh like the the posh accent, the animal that knows more than everybody else, and he talks like this, and no, you don't understand the story. And I was just like, God, get this fucking thing off the screen. Like when they first introduced a cat, I was like, oh, cool, cat. And then it started talking with that voice. And I was like, oh, oh no. Oh no. It's it's trying to be the same character from Near Replicant that was Grimoire Vice, but it just it's not as cool. Like it's the same accent, same kind of um attitude like i know more than you and like don't speak to me in that way have some respect and it's like it just doesn't land it's no. nowhere near as it's it's just not as cool yeah i didn't i didn't like fluffy <laughs> i didn't like him at all yeah it was around this point in the story that i started to be like hey everyone's having like the most traumatic experience possible why is this turning into like couples pairing off um and it's Something with me where I don't love most depictions of like romance in video games, but like I just I was just thinking like, man, you have all watched each other die countless times and you are like, you know, hurting your brains going into these sentinels. You have no idea where in time or like what the fuck is going on with anything. Why are we spending so much time crushing on each other? It was something I thought during the story, and then it does get a payoff later in the story, but this was something I was thinking like probably in like the middle third of the game where I was like, hey man, like you're getting into these mech battles. Why are you falling in love with each other? I, I don't know. I, I Some of them are done better than others. Yeah. Like we mentioned Megumi and Juro. Yeah. I think that one's got layers to it. Another mm-hmm. one that I liked a lot is Hijiyama and Okino. Um, Hijiyama kind of meets Okino in the, in his time in like the, in World War II, he's like a pilot with Miura. Then he gets pushed into the future where he meets Okino again. And they kind of, they have this romance. And what, what's interesting is it's revealed that Okino is the word that they use is cross-dressing. Don't love that word, but Okino is a man, a, a feminine man who sometimes chooses to present as a uh, a woman. And they explicitly say in the game, um, they use this verb, although I don't remember the quote, like, you know, some binaries work for me, some others don't. Mm-hmm. And for a Japanese game, and oh, I, I should say before I say that, they don't play it off for comedy. Yeah. Every once in a while, they do. Every once in a while. But for a Japanese company, for Atlas especially, I mean... Every Persona game has had some problematic depictions uh-huh. <laughs> of trans people, of gay people. It's it, it's in every single one. And they, they toned it down in Persona 5 before they released it here, too. So for a Japanese company to present non-binary people in this way, mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Because throughout the game, like, Okina will show up as a man and as a woman, um, presenting as a man and presenting as a woman. And sometimes people comment on on it, comment on it, and sometimes they don't. Um, And what's cool is even when Okino is presenting as a man, 
the romance between Okino and Hijiyama is still there. Um, and, you know, he struggles with it. Hijiyama does throughout the game. And then towards the end, he's like, I, I don't care. It's like, I, I love Okino. I, I don't really care what you're wearing. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little clumsy sometimes, but I was like, you know, it, this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, that tangent aside, Iori's <laughs> romance uh, where she just sees uh seki gahara and falls in love with him yep i that was kind of dumb yeah you know? i i wasn't a fan of that and uh ogata and what was her name kisaragi was that just oh, kind I, of like i don't know they're both kind of liked it they're both very forward people i guess you know but it it, it was I think what helped that Sorry, sorry. It it just was a little bit late in the story where I had the thought like, oh, they're pairing up and a bunch of the pairs have already been made. So here we go. I think what helped that one for me is that, and this is one of my favorite parts of the game, is when Ogata is stuck in that same train station 10 times over. Um, And each time, you know, like he's having the same conversation with, with, um, what did you say your name was? Kisaragi. Kisaragi, yeah. And each time he's just like, you know, I, I don't, I don't have time for this. Like, I, like, I, I still really feel for you, but like, we've got bigger things going on right now. Mm-hmm. We've got to figure out how to not kill everybody on this train. Otherwise I'm going to live in this loop Groundhog Day style forever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of like that. I also liked Kisaragi's character just because she felt like a real person to me. Yeah. Um, versus, um, oh, what's her and Iori's friend, um, that's always lusting over men. Oh, I forget her name. Um, she's not a playable character. Right. Yeah. Um, but she, I, you know, you could say that that's typical, like, um, adolescent girl behavior, but like, I just, it just didn't feel like a real person to me. Well, I was just going to say, cause when you're in that train station loop, you get in this kind of repeat fight with those other goons, right? That, that band of goons that Ogata is always fighting. And I had the Most feeling punchable face in the city. Yeah. <laughs> I had the feeling that I was like, okay, like, is there anything more to these people? And there's not just like a uh, Fuyusaka's friend. And I, I don't know if this was the intention, but the realization later on that those are all AI and they're not real people was like, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Like, even if it's not the specific intent to make them bland because they're not real people, I was like, oh, that, you know, that's actually pretty cool if you think about it. I also, this doesn't have anything to do with the story, but <laughs> I love the uh, cliche 80s pompadour Japanese greaser <laughs> look. Like it shows up in Yakuza, it shows up in Danganronpa, it shows up here. It's just, it's so funny seeing that gigantic pompadour beehive looking hairdo. Mm-hmm. It's I love it every time, every time. It's so funny. I, I, you know, it makes me just wonder, like, was there this huge, like, greaser fad in Japan that, like, they're playing on here? It was like, I mean, in the 80s, that was, I, I could be wrong. I, I'm probably wrong. Right to Dave if I'm wrong. <laughs> but, like, I, I think in the 80s, like, that's when they were starting to get into American culture more. So like, it makes sense that they would have seen like some of the stuff from the past, like Greece. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, saw, saw the movie Greece was like, Oh, Greece lightning. <laughs> Just, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. The entire country watches Greece and they're like, Oh, America's really cool. I like this. 
<laughs> she she changed her personality to end up with the bad boy. Oh, <laughs> nice. I, yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it since I was a kid and I have no interest in seeing it ever again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the romances, like I kind of painted with a broad brush and said, like, I was like not into them uh, in general. It was more just a like, you know, you're literally like watching people get shot and stuff like that. And then the next scene is Fuyasaka, like, oh my God, he's so beautiful. And I'm like, man, like eye on the prize a little bit. But uh, some of the relationships that you brought up, especially um, like Juro and uh, Megumi are pretty good. And I, I like the kind of implications behind uh, that one in particular. And um, the the scene that you talked about in the train station loop that they're in uh was pretty cool it just like the relationship or whatever was just like oh i guess i guess that's how this is going yeah i'm i'm with you i i think it might be a sort of a uh, i don't want to call it an anime trope but it, it shows up in anime a lot where it's like something serious is going on and then there's some sort of like internal monologue that's being spoken like you see this in dragon ball z constantly like Goku will be fighting and somebody down on the bottom will be talking exactly about what is going on <laughs> or like they'll be talking about what's going on and then they'll just like say something totally random about like, oh, you know, Bulma. And it's like, <laughs> it's like what are you talking about, dude? Um, it's, it is what it is. I, I just, every time it came up, like when they were fighting and, you know, they were like, oh, he's, he's so strong. I was like, okay, it's, it's comedy. It's mm-hmm. like, all right. It's it's fine. If it weren't there, it you know it, it would also be fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is. If it because it's this is not like a super serious game, despite all the no, things that are happening, no. and it, it might just be a taste thing. Where I I did not find this game to be very funny, um, rarely funny, and especially with things that I think are supposed to be funny. Like I I think that Fluffy is supposed to get a chuckle. You know, and I was just like, oh, no, no, not for me, at least. A very specific kind of person might find Fluffy funny. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think like the first time he called Megumi a stupid girl or whatever, I was like, I didn't laugh, but I like smiled. Mm -hmm. And then it just wore out its welcome very, very quickly. Yeah. That's that's the humor of this game, though. Like nothing made me laugh out loud, but, you know, I, I smiled here and there i had a little chuckle now and then i think the like (laughs) most punchable face in the city that was like kind of the only (laughs) thing that really got a got a chuckle uh from me but you know i i've i mean i don't need to repeat too many more times that a lot of the aesthetic choices are just not for me so you know it is it is what it is um did you pick up on this that storyline while we're on the subject of Fluffy of like why he's making uh, Megumi go around and shoot people? Because it took me a long time to figure out what what was actually going on there. I don't remember when the switch because at first I thought that Fluffy was just an antagonistic force being antagonistic for the sake of being bad. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when the switch flipped and I was like, oh, it's nano machines. Like he's helping nano machines, son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I, I don't remember. I didn't pick up on it probably until they explained it. Um, because uh, at a certain point with this game and this, 
maybe this is a fault on my part. Um, maybe this is how they intended it to be experienced. There was a certain point a little over halfway through where I stopped trying to guess what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. I was just, I, I was, I sat down, I put the bar down and I was like, I'm on this roller coaster. I'm just going to enjoy it as it comes. I'm not going to look forward and be like, Oh, like a loop's coming or, you know, I just stopped trying to guess. Yeah, that's fair. I, I kept trying to guess, but I definitely stopped trying to like make sense of everything that had been given to me beforehand because like you said, about halfway through the game, you have so many things going on. You have sentinels, you have nano machines, you have a talking cat, you have the men in black, you have uh, <laughs> you have what seems to be multiple timelines, you have older versions of characters with different names, you have all this stuff going on. It, there was a certain point where I was just like, okay, like you said, just strap in and enjoy the ride see where it goes. And you said men in black. Uh, Just to be clear, these are men in black, in black suits with sunglasses, Mm -hmm. who are hunting down extraterrestrial uh, life. Yeah. So it's it's literally the men in black. And they do that a lot in this game. They pay homage to like sci-fi films of the 80s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, War of the Worlds is referenced many, many times. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of cool. Like if you're into that kind of thing, it's, you know, it's like the Leonardo, like pointing at the TV on the couch. It's like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They said it. <laughs> yeah, I was into it. I, I the Men in Black were more, um, more like part of the mystery for me. Like, why are they? Well, actually, not why are they trying to catch this? You know, robot. Because if they do exist, they probably would be trying to catch this robot. It was just more like, why do they want this robot? Like, what what's special about it? And the the game for a long time is setting up all these like antagonistic forces, right? Fluffy is presented as kind of an antagonist. Four two six, the Men in Black, the um, I forget the name. The guy that's making um, the other character that I forget her name, uh, Takamiya, making her go around and investigate. There's all these antagonistic forces that don't end up being there. Doesn't really end up being an antagonistic force other than the kaiju throughout the whole thing yeah pretty much it's a lot of you know and it could be seen as one of the themes of this game being perspective a lot of the antagonists that we see or that we're led to believe are bad it's really just us viewing them from our or from that character's specific point of view Mm -hmm. we don't have the full story and then we consistently throughout the game have another perspective where we see no it's you know, they're actually not bad at all. Um, so I don't know. I don't think this game has is like thematically heavy. Like it's no. it's a story. It's a fun story. Mm-hmm. But you could argue that perspective is 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 a theme that's present throughout here. Yeah. So if we're, we're getting toward like the end of what's going on, I definitely got lost in like the inciting events, I guess, of like why we're, you know, we have the humans like way off in the future why do we have um, these pods? What's up with these assassination attempts? What's up with these, uh, the, uh, I forget the name of the corporation that like owns everything, Shikishima or something like that. Um, what What's going on with them? Why is Ogata the president of that late in the future? 
and then we have these inciting events for why the like the pods and everything is going on. And I that was something that I I don't know if I was just overloaded with stuff and hard to like latch on to information by this point in the game, but I'm still not super clear on what it was that put these characters that we're playing as into these like development pods. Towards the end of the game, my understanding is that it was those 15 or so people that were left. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's all that was left of humanity. And they uploaded their AI into um, those bodies and then sent them back into those five sectors, which is why we can only go um, 40 years back and forward. Right. It's because each time time zone... 1945, 1985, uh, et cetera, 25, et cetera. I had to do the math real quick. <laughs> um, that's Those are all sectors. Like, they're not real. Yeah. And there's a really cool scene with um, uh, Amaguchi and, is it Takamiya? Probably. They spend a lot of time together. The girl with the long dress uh, that could beat me up. Yeah, her. Yeah. <laughs> um, they There's a really cool scene where they go beyond the quote-unquote city limits and they see, like, Oh, this isn't real. This is like we're in a like this is a facility. Yeah. Um, and such a cool reveal. Um, mm-hmm. that then doesn't get ex um expanded upon for a while. But so they they uploaded all of that into there while they're looking for this new inhabitable planet where they can restart life. That's my understanding of it. Right. I think. Yeah. All of that's I true. I need to replay the game, man. I <laughs> need then, to replay the game. It's, yeah. And then we have these, you know, we had these like future versions of the characters who are, you know, assassinating each other and stuff like that. And a, a lot of that stuff just kind of, I, I took it in, I enjoyed it on a very surface level. And then you're just getting so many revelations throughout the game that unless I were to draw a mind map or like a Pepe Silvia fucking cork board, I would never be able to keep track of all of this stuff. So, but that stuff with like the development pods and stuff like that, trying to find a new home for humanity um, is definitely cool. I I liked all of that stuff. The twist near the end too, where we sort of find out because the last person that you get to play as is Renyo Gota. Uh And he kind of serves to wrap everything up. Mm -hmm. um, All of the questions that are left lingering because you don't even get his, like you get his prologue like last and then you get his second story arc like 80% once you're 80% done mm-hmm. um and you kind of learn that Morimura is more or less behind everything like the the pills that she's giving Shinonome and mm-hmm. for a while Sekigahara they're not helping them um that, that is actively trying to sort of subdue them um and I don't remember the specifics but I I remember the scene where Go, Gota kind of confronts her with everything and it's revealed that, like, yeah, f- for her own selfish interest, she's trying to end everything. Yep. Um, like she got she she got Shinonome to upload the virus. I think uh, she is actively trying to sabotage things. And you basically kind of catch her in this uh, lock where you're like, all right, we're either going to kill you or you're going to help us. And that's eventually why she does help you reg- begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and things work out, but. Oh man, there's just so much information that <laughs> my brain I can't keep track of everything in this game, man. Yeah. And this is not even taking into account the storylines with like the robotic um oh, what's her name? Kiss Kisaragi. Ki- 
Kisaragi. Yeah. The robotic version of her and why, and the storyline with like Ida trying to create a new version of her, but then like, you know, an AI version of her, but then the real version of her comes and it's a whole fucking mess of, um, revelations that, uh, this is why there are 18 part story explanations on, uh, on YouTube there. Like I looked and I, I was looking for like, let me find like a nice 15 minute story explanation video as I do for a lot of, uh, games on the show. And it's just real hard to find one like that about this game. Cause there's so many storylines going on. That's the one reason I don't, I'm not convinced that this would make a great anime is because it's so long and so dense, you would have to compress so many things. Um, it, it would either be a really long anime, mm-hmm. really long anime, or just, you know, get the Danganronpa treatment where everything is rushed through and it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, there's not too much interactivity to turn this into another medium. Like this, this game doesn't rely on it being a video game to tell the story that it wants to tell. I don't think not in the way that Disco Elysium does, like you said earlier, but it would be, there's just so much that in order to pace it out into like specific episodes and seasons or movies or whatever, I think maybe they would have to like change the order that they give you some of these revelations to like, just answer some of your questions and leave you feeling content while you wait for a new season or something like that. Because as it is in the game, it was just a nonstop barrage of new stuff, new storylines. And I think they wrap up pretty well, or I was, I can't say that definitively because I don't remember all of that information, but I remember feeling satisfied as I was playing through the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think I might take back, like, I, I, I could see this being made into a, a convincing anime. I'd. I don't think it would be a good manga is I think what I meant to say um, just because of the sheer length, but mm. no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, it, it's a lot. <laughs> I don't know how they would pace it out. Um, but I, I, I think they did a fairly good job. All things considered. Um, I, I'll go so far as to say they did a great job. Yeah. All things considered. Yeah. It, super enjoyable. And uh, we didn't even talk about the ending. So. Oh, jeez. They, Apparently, they found a new place to live, and what you're experiencing throughout the story is kind of like the mental development through like these programs that have been, you know, made to help these uh, new humans develop mentally as well as physically, I guess. Um, and so they they found a new place. You go through the events of the story, and the characters are ready to come out of the pods that's why they're naked in the sentinels is because this this is taking place in um these uh what is it in vitro like tubes basically or whatever uh that's and the sentinels are like the closest version of like what's actually happening like the reality i guess more so than these visions of being in high school and stuff like that so the end um everything's ready i guess they step out of the pod uh, everybody's naked um and actually i lied when i said nothing made me laugh because the last uh the last quote where uh megami was like our plan was to save the human race everyone's standing around naked we already know what we're gonna do now yeah so i the thing about that last scene to me 
it's not everyone. It's just Megumi and Juro. They're, you know, each of them kind of inhabits one side of the screen. Um, it says everybody's there, but it they're, only they're, shows those. They're two. not on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And like that image, they, they found a new place, mm-hmm. their own garden. And it's, it's so clearly invocative of Adam and Eve, right? Mm-hmm. Like the beginning of humanity. It's, it's a good symbol. And then they say that line and it's like, you had me <laughs> and then you had to speak. Oh, you could have let it speak for itself. You know, like I, it, the symbolism of Adam and Eve says all you need to say. Like they didn't have to do the whole, like we already know what we're going to do now. Mm -hmm. It's like, we, we know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We know. Yep. You know? (laughs) Yeah. You're right. I just got a chuckle out of that line. Um, possibly because I've been, I've just been going through the whole game being like, man, these, uh, these portraits when they're in the Sentinels, it's, it's a bit much for me. I was going through the whole game thinking about that. And then at the end, Megami's like, it's fucking time. Let's get to it. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, the, the ending was very sweet and I like that they used Juro and Megami as the two characters there, as opposed to like a different couple, I guess, uh, because they did have the best, uh, most convincing, well, not they together, but their romance story was the best of any of them in, in the game, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't think it would have worked with any of the other characters. <laughs> so, yeah, 13 Sentinels. That was, um, that was a challenge to talk about the story, not going to lie, um, with any degree of like definitively, yes, this is what happens. Because like I said, I beat this game a couple months ago. I did some recapping beforehand, but I was definitely not down to watch seven hours of YouTube videos to prep for this. So, um, but I did kind of enjoy the story and I did kind of have fun going through this after the fact, looking at those notes that I took and just being like, uh, no, I was so fucking wrong about this. And I was right about this, but I didn't know why I was right about this. And um, the way that this story is told uh, gives so many opportunities for things like that, that it ended up being really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. The story is the focus, but the way it's told is also a big part of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to replay it this time on Switch, I think. I, yeah, I don't think I'm going to replay this, but if I did, I would absolutely like double dip, buy it on Switch and play it that way. I'm not... Yeah, I say this, like, it's really weird. The way that I have, like, in my head, like, divided what games I want to play while sitting in a chair in front of the TV or my monitor and what games I want to play on the Switch. And I'll say, like, I want to play this 40-hour game with lots of dialogue on Switch, but I played 60 hours of Red Dead Redemption 2 on the TV just fine. Um, And I think it just comes down to games where like text is the focus like actually reading text on screen like this and disco elysium were perfect for switch whereas things with higher production value for lack of a better term maybe i want to sit in front of a tv and enjoy it that way but this is definitely like a if you're going to play it again read 30 minutes before bed type of thing oh yeah 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 and there another reason this would work quite well on switch is like the background the background and foregrounds look beautiful and the characters look beautiful mm-hmm. but they're simple and all of their expressions are very theatrical like if they're surprised like 
you're going to get like a big like yeah. stage production <laughs> style of reaction. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Red Dead, it's it's more realistic. Like mm-hmm. you have to be able to read faces a little better. And Switch is a small console. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I do love Switch for games like this. So do you think that they would like continue this as like a sequel? Like Odin Sphere is a, a series, right? Oh, I don't know. I... I freshened up on Vanillaware titles just to talk about them. I've never actually played Odin Sphere. Okay. But I, I don't, I, they don't need to make a sequel to this. Like, I hope they don't. No, apparently Odin Sphere is not a series. It's one game uh, that's been remade. So maybe that's where I got that impression. It would be an undertaking to do another game like this. Like, it may be one of those things where they had a really cool idea for a game and a way to tell a story and they executed it and now they're just like we're not doing that again we're going to do something different yeah yeah let do another story uh that's separate um i somebody somebody had mentioned that sequels that that they weren't a fan of sequels because just just tell the full story you know like in in one go Se- sequels only complicate things and they don't always work i don't know that i feel the same way but i think for this specific example of 13 sentinels yeah, like you don't you don't need it was a good story. You mm-hmm. capped it well. It it's enough to warrant multiple playthroughs to understand it. Just, you know, move on to something else. Yeah. This is a complete story, which is why I, you know, if they made a sequel, I would be real dubious of like it would have to be totally separate, you know. Like in the way that Dark Souls 2 is not really a sequel to Dark Souls 1. There we go. We got the reference out of the way at the very end of the episode. Um, it would have to be kind of like that, like a sequel in number only, because this is a super complete story. But it is well done enough that like, if they want to tell another story with the same method of storytelling, I would trust them to do it well again. Yeah, absolutely. I'll yep. drink to that. Yep. All right. Well, Rick, it's been a good time. Um, maybe one of the more challenging episodes of the show because um, the story is a tangled web and there were a lot of things that um, we respectfully disagreed on uh, with with regard to aesthetic and things like that. I'm glad I picked you to come on for this episode, man. Been a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm super glad to be here. Um, and again, I I can't say enough how much I like your shows as well. Both of them, a top three and Tales from the Backlog. Um, I know you sung our praises at the beginning, so I wanted to make sure that I reciprocated that too. Aww. Um, similarly, another, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't listened to some of the Elden Ring stuff just because there was a lot of it and I haven't played Elden Ring. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> but, enough. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise I, and it turned me onto some games like, uh, Florence and, uh, Ooh. things that I otherwise before your eyes otherwise would yeah. have never heard of. Cool. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Thank you everybody for listening And stay tuned next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog. It is time for spooky time next week. See you later, everybody. Mm